Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. A lot of big stories to unpack tonight. There's the fallout from the president's non-emergency, national emergency. There's the news that his former campaign chairman might never see the outside of a jail cell again. I'm going to talk to a former chairman of the DNC about Democratic infighting as Amazon busts out of New York. And we've got the latest details in the Jesse Smollett uh, assault case, which continues to develop. I'm getting to all of that. But first... Tonight's headline, a constitution meet crisis. When you hear the word emergency, a number of things probably come to mind. Urgency, for one, a real and imminent threat, danger around the corner, a need to act now to avert disaster. Does this sound like a guy with an emergency? I want to do it faster. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. And I don't have to do it for the election. I've already done a lot of wall for the election. 2020. I just want to get it done faster. That's all. Uh, By the way, those faint screams you heard are the president's lawyers who know they'll have to find a way to defend the emergency he just admitted he didn't have to declare in court. So let's be clear about what just happened. The president used an executive action meant for real emergencies that Congress literally doesn't have time to vote on to fund a political vanity project that Congress did vote on and already denied him. What you saw yesterday in the Rose Garden was a presidential temper tantrum, only instead of taking his ball and going home, Trump took $6 billion from the United States military. Here's how he weighed the seriousness of that decision. Some of the generals think that this is more important. Uh, I was speaking to a couple of them. They think this is far more important than what they were going to use it for. I said, what were you going to use it for? And I won't go into details, but didn't sound too important to me. All right, then. Here's the deal. Knock, knock. Republicans, anybody home? Any Republicans in Washington have a problem with this? Remember conservatism, limited government, you know, your principles? You'd think at least a few of them would remember how much executive overreach offended them. When the last guy did it, it was, after all, over the same exact issue, immigration. The other part of this that is baffling, for all of his talk about job creation, the president just killed a bunch of them. By taking over the purse strings, he just rendered the jobs of all 535 members of Congress obsolete. If the president can now just override Congress on spending, they may as well all pack up and go home. So what will happen next week? Will any Republican lawmakers say no to this? Well, I tried to ask one, but none that we invited would come on the show. So here with me tonight is Democratic Congressman from California, John Garamendi. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be with you. So you're leading an effort to block Trump from allocating funds for this emergency. What exactly does that entail? Well, 
Up until just the last couple of days, the president has said he would go after the civil works program in the Army Corps of Engineers. And these are uh, levy improvements. These are uh, disaster relief programs all around the nation, California, Texas, uh, Puerto Rico, and on and on. Uh, we uh, went after that. We pointed out to anybody that would care to listen, and apparently a lot of folks did, uh, that it would uh, really uh, put the question of the safety of American citizens across the nation up mm. against his vanity wall. Uh, he seems to back away from that. Nevertheless, we've introduced legislation which we will try to move in the days ahead. Uh, the other issue is one that you laid out so very, very well, uh, the constitutional issue. And the third issue is if you're going after the military money, what military money are you going after? And there right. is a huge and very important question. So um, the president clearly expects this to end up in in the courts. Uh, here's a little reminder of how that played yesterday. Take a listen. They will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling and then we'll get another bad ruling and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court and hopefully we'll get a fair shake. <laughs> so, Congressman, how do you expect this to go in the courts? Well, I think there is a very fundamental question. Any conservative, any judge that considers himself to be a constitutionalist, one that uh, looks at the Constitution and uh, pays attention to the letters uh, rather than some uh, intervening interpretation, uh, will say this doesn't work. Let's remember that the Congress of the United States debated the issue of a border wall in the context of an emergency right. for over a year, actually 14 months, came to the conclusion that we'd spend $1.37 billion, right. and that's it, and limited. Now, the president didn't like that, so he said, notwithstanding all of the debate and notwithstanding yeah. Article 1, Section 9, we're going to go ahead, he'll go ahead and simply appropriate yeah. money on his own. Cannot do it. It is a fundamental well, question. Congress has to fight back vigorously yeah. on this. Well, I hear a so, lot of folks pointing out that Republicans are setting a dangerous precedent, for sure, and that the next Democratic president will use national emergencies on climate change or gun control, etc. But my question is, will Democrats oppose that? Will you, if the next Democrat and, you know, Democratic president does that, will you oppose it? Absolutely. I've, you know, I've been around for a few years here, and I remember back in the fifth grade, we were talking about the separation of power, about checks yeah. and balances. This is fundamental. This is the fundamental point. Now, if we want to have an imperial president, Democrat or Republican, good times or bad times, this is how it's done. This is exactly how it's done. You allow yeah. one president to uh, call for a phony bony uh, emergency basically usurped the power of Congress, overriding the check and the balance that was written in mm -hmm. at the very outset of this country. Cannot do it. We've got to fight back. If you're a Democrat, Republican, you care about the way in which our constitutional government yeah. works. This is the fight that we must have. Now, there are a lot of other fights. Uh, the issue of the uh, military construction money. I'm the right. chairman of the Readiness Subcommittee, and we oversee all of that. Yeah. Uh, and we're going, no, Mr. President, you're is not more important than family housing, not more important than an installation of an anti-ballistic missile system uh, in Alaska or rebuilding the uh, air base in, in Florida or the uh, Marine base yeah. uh, at Cap Lejeune. <clears throat> These are all critical issues. 
Finally, there's one other thing that I don't understand what the president is thinking at all. Okay. He's going after the Department of Defense's counter-narcotics uh, funding, some two, two and a half right. billion dollars potentially there. This is money that the U.S. military uses yeah. to send troops and advisors to Colombia to guess what? Stop the trade to deal with the narcos and, and also in Central America and to yeah. work cooperatively with governments there to stop the drug yeah. trade. And finally, with the U.S. Coast Guard, it is nonsense. It is backward. It is stupid. But it is so much. Right. President Trump, give us a break. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Congressman. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye bye. So there might not be much courage among Republican lawmakers to really oppose this, but plenty of conservatives are angry. One of them joins me now, Tom Nichols, national security expert, former Republican Senate staff member. Tom, I don't even know where to begin. How bad is this? It's remarkable. And the one of the things that's really dispiriting about it is to see Republicans uh, now resorting to whataboutism and Obama did it, too. And this isn't so bad. The Republicans were once the party of limited government, including limited executive power. And to see them contorting themselves and twisting right. themselves into pretzel pretzels to, to rationalize this uh, just shows you how much President Trump has really captured the party and turned it into something else that is, I think, neither Republican nor conservative. Well, so is this ultimately Congress's fault? Do you think that there was anything they could have done to keep him from doing this? You know, it seems like his mind was made up on this, you know, weeks ago. Congress has been letting its powers in this area, uh, as in so many other areas, uh, slip away for years. I mean, we have something like 30 existing national emergencies, which itself is ridiculous. Yeah, active ones, um, right. Congress needed, yeah, active, um, you know, at some point, um, you know, it's almost like the joke from Caddyshack that this is just another routine emergency. Right. Uh, and, you know, 30, 30 emergencies is ridiculous, and Congress simply lets this go on. But Congress has been uh, letting its powers drift into the executive branch for years, yeah. particularly in foreign policy. Uh, which is what these other emergencies were about. This is really a remarkable moment where a president says, I'm declaring an emergency because I can't get my way and you're just going to have to go along with me. Right. Um, as we mentioned just, just earlier, Trump is raiding the Pentagon's budget. Um, I already have a friend in the National Reserves who was deployed to the border. What does this mean to our military? Well, we, we don't know yet because we don't know what programs uh, and what money the president wants to shift around. So it's, it's not clear where any of this is coming from. And I would even hazard a guess to say that the president himself doesn't know because mm -hmm. this, again, was an instinct. I think the president doesn't understand what he did. I think he doesn't understand the nature of the legislation he signed. Uh, and so I, I don't think that the conversation has gotten that far. I think it may actually be a relief to some of the Republicans in Congress that this will be challenged in court because they don't want to have to live with the outcome of whatever right. this is going to be. Yeah, and it kind of lets them off the hook, too. Well, it's almost like that's the safety valve. We'll let this state of emergency go through. The president will feel like he did something important. The courts will take care of it. But again, yeah. that's Congress kicking the can down the road and Republicans, uncharacteristically, relying on the courts to do things that they don't have the nerve to do. Tom, thanks for your insight, as always. Thanks for having me. Coming up, now that the president has served up this political mess, how will Republicans and Democrats make it palatable to their voters? 
And are Democrats on the brink of all but guaranteeing Trump a second term with their leftward drift? Former DNC chair says maybe. I'll ask him about that. Stay right here. I didn't know it got more liberal than Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, but the two New York lawmakers just got outlefted by the leftiest leftist of the left. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her opposition to keeping Amazon and tens of thousands of well-paying jobs out of New York City seems to have worked. We'll talk more about Amazon's old switcheroo in a bit, but the seeming progressive takeover, or at the very least its rise within the Democratic Party, has proven to be something of a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, progressives are where the energy is. It's with AOC and Bernie and Beto, not with the moderates, if you can find any. But it's also giving some Democratic leaders a real headache. If they thought defending single-payer health care was challenging, try defending the sweeping, outrageously expensive, totally impractical Green New Deal, which promises to do everything but find the lost city of Atlantis. Or try being a Democrat running for office in, say, West Virginia, when progressives in Washington are promising to abolish ICE. Or imagine being a Democrat in New York or Florida when two progressive co congresswomen are tweeting anti-Semitic tropes. Is this the new Democratic Party? Is there any real estate left for moderate Democrats? Well, let me ask former governor of Pennsylvania, former DNC chair Ed Rendell. Welcome, Governor. Welcome, Essie. You look great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if, you, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you would do me the favor of looking back at Bill Clinton's presidency, where I'll remind you, I know you don't, you don't need to be reminded, but you got workfare, the 1994 crime bill, the Defense of Marriage Act, don't ask, don't tell. I could go on and on. That Democratic Party is unrecognizable today. It's not just a different century. It's like another epic. It's like the Cretaceous period of the Democratic Party. Is there a place for someone like Joe Biden anymore in this new Democratic Party? Yeah, see, I think the media is making a mistake. I think the media plays up these comments by progressives. I think the media thinks that the Democratic Party is swung way to the left. Look at the 18 election results. Of the 41 new congressmen, almost 35 of them were right. moderate centrists. They ran in moderate districts, and they won sure. in moderate districts. Of the seven Democratic governors who took Republican states, all seven would be described as Democratic left of center centrists. So I think the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, the sensible wing of the Democratic Party, not only still exists, but still represents a vast majority of Democratic voters. And by the way, they're just as enthusiastic about getting rid of President Trump as the most sure. left-leaning progressive. The enthusiasm in our party comes from one two-word phrase, Donald Trump. No, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. It, it's, it unites your party for sure, where it, on the other hand, divides our party. I, I don't disagree at all. But when you've got people, rock stars of the party, like Beta O'Rourke, talking about taking down existing border walls, Kirsten Gillibrand, like running to get behind him on that, and every Democratic candidate, we just had news today, dying for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's endorsement in 2020. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to argue that there's a lot of energy on the far left in your party. There's energy, but the question is, is the energy focused on a broad enough swath of Democratic voters? I don't think it is. I think if the election were held today with the field as it is today, yeah. Amy Klobuchar would win the election. 
And Amy Klobuchar would win because she's a common sense left of center centrist who right. has a great record of getting things done, who was the only Democrat who performed well during the Kavanaugh hearings, the only Democrat who yeah. covered herself, I think, with glory and dignity. So um, I, I think that the media is blowing this up a little bit. But here's the danger. The danger is Donald Trump is smart enough to know he can't win re-election. Democrats have to lose it. So he has to make the Democratic candidate the issue. And even if the Democratic candidate turns out to be Joe Biden, Donald Trump is going to say socialist, socialist, socialist. I said right. this in an article about two weeks before the State of the Union address. What did Donald Trump say in the State of the Union address? Socialist Democrats. He's going to just take one or two statements out of context and say socialist, socialist, socialist. Well, but and it's believable be to enough people when you have certain candidates who talk about socialism. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense with a Joe Biden, of course. And I think you're absolutely right. Amy Klobuchar would have the best chance of defeating Donald Trump. I have said that already. I don't know that she can no get question. through the primary, though. But, but don't, don't, I was going to say, don't be dis, dismayed. I don't know if you are dismayed by that, but don't be dismayed. <laughs> because, because we have Democratic voters are not represented by the far left. Democratic voters are represented more by what Joe Biden's for. And by the way, who's going to bring yeah. back those Democrats who voted for Trump in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania? Oh, not Elizabeth Michigan. Warren. Right. No, I couldn't agree Joe, with you Joe more. Biden. I'm just not sure. Right. No, I, I, I hear you. I agree with you. I'm just not sure um, the party is completely sorted out on that. It seems like a lot of Democrats, even moderate Democrats, um, are, are sort of rushing to where AOC is uh, on, on the Green New Deal, on, on things that I think turn off the vast majority of Democratic voters. Well, but look, Amy Klobuchar and Sherrod Brown both have come out clearly and, and, and said that they weren't for abolishing ICE. You can't right. abolish ICE. We need to reform it, obviously, but you can't abolish it. It's like saying we're going to abolish the police because the police act right. poorly. No, we've got to reform them, and that's the sensible. The Green New Deal, we're all in favor of the goals that the Green New Deal talks about, but we have to give voters a plan that's not going to raise taxes yeah. for middle-class families, and that's workable, and that can be done in 10 years. We can't promise people a sky. We can't overpromise. And we can't promise things that are going to cause middle class taxes to go up. And I can just see Donald Trump with a calculator saying, here's promise number one, here's promise number two, here's promise number three. You know what that means if you earn $60,000 a year? It means you're going to be paying $4,000 more in income taxes. I think you're giving him a and lot Donald of credit for doing that much work, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will do it for him. Someone will do it for him. I hear you. Governor Red De uh, Ed Rendell, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Thanks. My pleasure. All right, next, I'll look at how Trump's emergency declaration will play with voters of both parties. Another Friday night bombshell from the Mueller probe. This time, special counsel prosecutors say former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort deserves a maximum of 24 and a half years in prison for his financial crimes. They argue Manafort was driven by greed and spent years stockpiling millions in secret income, adding, quote, Manafort acted for more than a decade as if he were above the law and deprived the federal government and various financial institutions of millions of dollars. Manafort was convicted last year of bank fraud, tax fraud and other financial crimes. He's already spent eight months behind bars. He pleaded guilty to witness tampering and a judge this week certified that he intentionally lied after striking a cooperation deal with prosecutors. So to recap, there's a very real chance 
The man Trump handpicked to run his campaign will spend the rest of his living days in prison. And I was a little new to the job, a little new to the profession. And we had a little disappointment for the first year and a half. People that should have stepped up did not step up. They didn't step up, and they should have. Would have been easy. I'm very disappointed at certain people, particular one, for not having pushed this faster. Are you referring but to But I've Ryan, learned sir? who? Speaker Ryan. Uh, let's not talk about it. <laughs> so there was President Trump spinning some excuses and shifting the blame for why he didn't get his wall deal back when his party controlled both chambers of Congress. Spin has become a central part of this ongoing border tug of war on both sides of the aisle, starting all the way back during the campaign when Trump said Mexico would pay for the wall, right until last month when Nancy Pelosi said she wouldn't give Trump one dollar for it. You may notice neither of those proclamations ended up becoming true. Here to wade through all the bull, Republican strategist, former <laughs> Romney campaign spokesperson Kevin Madden, and Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel. Um, Kevin? It's a lot of bull. How will Republicans <laughs> spin the bull next week when they have to, like, face their constituents? Well, look, you know, one of the things that uh, I think helped Trump prosper in Republican politics up to this point is that I think he's realized that the base Republican voter out there mm -hmm. is not as driven by purity of limited government and right. constitutional. I'm getting uh, that. Yeah, conservatism. <laughs> and as a result, they're they're more driven. And what he's realized is that they're more driven by vanquishing their opponents. Uh -huh. And that is what they believe is the liberal left. So right. I think one of the own ways, the libs. yeah, I think own the libs. One of the ways that Trump is going to continue to push this is this is me versus Democrats who won't let me fulfill the promise that I made to the American people yeah. about building a wall. And in large part, congressional Republicans are going to follow suit with him on that and arguing in, in his favor and in his defense. Well, I did see um, Justin Amash had a one of the stronger mm -hmm. statements. Um, he did a long thread, but one of his tweets. Uh, said, he's a congressman from Michigan, by the way, he uh, tweeted, a national emergency declaration for a non-emergency is void. A prerequisite for declaring an emergency is that the situation requires immediate action and Congress does not have an opportunity to act. POTUS, Donald Trump, is attempting to circumvent our constitutional system. And will there be others? There will be a few, mm -hmm. but they will be outnumbered by those, yeah. particularly in the conservative media, that do everything they can. I mean, it's yeah. like Justin Amash is not as important to Donald Trump as Sean Hannity or Lou Dobbs. Obviously. Um, Basil, some of the Democrats in the 2020 conversation, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, are swinging way to the left uh, on this. Beto O'Rourke saying not only would he push back on this new border wall, he would take down existing uh, yeah. wall. Um, and Kirsten Gillibrand sort of ran, ran up uh, behind him to s jump on, on that bandwagon, too. Are Democrats going to overplay this? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, because I don't think Nancy Pelosi's there, and that's what's really important here. Um, and Chuck Schumer's not there either, right, and right. that's what's really important here. So I, do, I think they're, if they're presidential candidates, that, that's what they're going to say, and uh -huh. we can expect more like that. Hmm. Andrew Ocasio-Cortez, I expect her to say similarly. So uh, as long as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are sort of holding it down and kind of bringing us a little more to the middle, yeah. and they've talked about border security, including some elements of a wall or fence over time, 
Um, so I, I think that gives us a bit of cover. But again, yeah. as you allude to, as we get deeper and deeper into this presidential campaign cycle, how much does the, how much do the presidential candidates then start to dictate what members of Congress right. are going to be talking about? We're not quite there yet, but I expect that's coming. To, to this yeah. to this point, yeah. it feels like all the 2020 candidates are reacting to new congressional Republicans like Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. It's usually the exact opposite. They go out and they're defining the profile mm -hmm. of the party on the campaign trail in places right. like Iowa and New Hampshire. It's really no longer the case. No. Um, here's a premise I want to uh, lay out before both of you. I've heard it all week. Four weeks. Trump had to do this to please his base. Mm. I don't buy this. His base is nothing if not loyal. He could justify not doing this. He could blame other people for not doing this. He can even get up at a rally, as he does, and say that he already did it. And they believe him. Well, I tell you, I think it's I think it has more to do with the fact that Trump is always trying. He lives in this cycle where he's trying to get positive affirmation from the from the cable news cycle. Yeah, so, yeah. He wants yeah. to win the, the, the next 24 hours of news coverage. And knowing that he there was expediting the inevitable with having to sign this and get out and not have another shutdown, yeah. he was going to declare victory no matter what. This was the way he declared victory, was declaring this, this state of emergency. CNN polling shows only three in ten Americans support Trump declaring a national emergency for his wall. Will he pay a price for this in the polls, do you think, or will he remain in that steady... Um, you know, I think mid forties. Well, it's, it remains to be seen if he'll pay a price if some Republicans actually side with Democrats and say this is useless. Bad. Um, <laughs> because and it's it's actually smarter on Nancy Pelosi's part to sort of force this uh, resolution that the Senate will then have to take up in terms of uh, denouncing this this emergency uh, yeah. measure. So that's actually smarter on her part because it forces Republicans to actually take make a decision about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if there are any defections. But uh, you know. I, that's that's really the problem here. I don't know that it actually hurts him with his base. No. At, at, at any at all. But I do think he needs it. I think something about him and the affirmation that he gets at those campaign rallies, mm. he seems to feed from that, yeah. and and he 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 needs that. So he's got to stick to it. Kevin, couldn't he just pretend to build the border wall? <laughs> well, he's he's. He, I mean, if you if you listen to, if you listen to what he's saying, he's like, we're already building it. Yes, so that's like, what I mean. He's already moved away from his, his declaration that Mexico is going to pay for it. Yes. Uh, so he's, he's, again, his focus will be on always declaring victory. And then every time he runs into one of these, uh, these uh, sort of uh, structural ro uh, uh, um, road bumps, yeah, yeah. he's just going to say, well, we're already building it and blame the Democrats. And so. if I could just yeah. add very quickly, yeah. that sure. is the one thing that I think Donald Trump but through his supporters has not really been able to figure out the process of moving things through the legislature. The Just how this works. Obviously. How this stuff works. Marshall. He still has, has not figured that out. And is marshalling the big middle yeah. one way yeah. or the other. Yeah. It's always about these vocal minorities on each side. But yeah. he's a deal maker, I yeah. thought. I yeah. thought. Wasn't I? I was told that? Yes? No? Okay. <laughs> uh, Kevin Basil, thanks so much. Always great, great to have you both. You. And we'll be right back. Stay there. In the Red Filed Night, the fallout from Amazon's stunning announcement that they were pulling out of a plan to build a headquarters in New York City. Political progressives and community activists helped kill the deal, which had Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doing her happy dance. She tweeted, anything is possible. Today was the day a group of dedicated, everyday New Yorkers and their neighbors defeated Amazon's corporate greed, its worker exploitation, and the power of the richest man in the world. That was a sentiment she doubled down on today during her official inauguration speech in New York. But 
There was a different reaction from Governor Andrew Cuomo, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, and Senator Chuck Schumer, as well as Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, who actually represents the district where the HQ would have been built. Here's what she said. It used to be that we would protest wars. Now we're protesting jobs. People are complaining about jobs. I'm a progressive too, but I'm pragmatic. So how do you solve a problem like Alexandria? Here to break it all down is former South Carolina Democratic representative and CNN commentator Bakari Sellers. You see what I did there, Bakari? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's the cover of the New York Daily News on Friday. They write... Shame on these so-called progressives for rejecting 25,000 high-paying jobs and billions in taxes tech biz would have brought to the city. So, Bakari, in the urge to paint corporate America as evil, are some of these lawmakers putting Democrats in a tough spot with voters? Well, I think it was a short-sighted decision on behalf of the city of New York and all of those in opposition. Um, I think Amazon and and Governor de Blasio, excuse me, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio made some errors in their miscalculation of how to sell this deal. But at the end of the day, it's hard Mm. to turn away 25,000 jobs. It's really hard to turn away all of the tax revenue that would be brought there, the benefits to your nonprofits. Um, And, you know, for Democrats, we turned our backs on the tenant associations in New York. We turned our backs on those individuals who will be building those uh, manufacturing facilities. I mean, you think about those $25 an hour jobs for those construction workers and all of those people who are going to be put to work, all the growth that would happen around that. And so I think it was short-sighted. But, you know, I, I think that... Uh, We have to sometimes be progressive, but also be pragmatic. I don't think anything's wrong with that. Well, yeah. And I mean, it wasn't just AOC, to be fair. Elizabeth Warren jumped right on the same sort of like giddy, giddy kind of uh, response to to the news. But Amazon is in millions of households. I don't have to tell you this. You just had twins. I'm sure they're at your house eight times a day. I mean, is it (laughs) really a good idea to villainize a company that is just so practical and useful and beloved, frankly? I mean, on on one side, we do have corporate greed in the United States of America. We do have fundamental inequalities in this country, economic inequalities. We do have some economic anxiety in this country. And uh, our billionaires and those individuals who who are practicing this greed are leaving the rest of the country behind. But on the other side, we have individuals who need jobs in this country. Uh, We have to be the party who puts people to work in this country and not just simply turns them away. I I know I'm not from New York, so people are going to be looking at us saying, why is Bakari Sellers talking about this? Well, the fact is, I actually worked with Amazon and landed an Amazon company when I was in the South Carolina General Assembly in a distribution center here in South Carolina. I've seen how Amazon has changed uh, the dynamics. We gave them tax breaks, but the revenues that have been driven to this state That's how it works. I mean, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's the power lawmakers have. That's it. And and one and one major yeah. point. I mean, a, a lot of this has been mistaken. But yeah, you know, people are talking about the $3 billion that Amazon was going to get. This is not just a cash payment. This was an imba- abatement. Right. This can't go anywhere else. And so That's right. we have to do a better job of understanding economics and caring about American workers. Oh, good note for someone I know. Bakari, thanks very much. We have breaking news on the investigation into the attack on Empire actor Jesse Smollett. That's next. Don't go anywhere. This is CNN Breaking News. We have breaking news in the investigation into an alleged attack against Empire star Jesse Smollett. Two law enforcement sources with knowledge of the investigation tell CNN Chicago police believe Jesse Smollett paid two men to orchestrate the assault. 
The actor told police that on January 29th, two masked men beat him, doused him with a liquid he believed to be bleach, and put a rope around his neck, all while shouting racial and homophobic slurs. I want to go out to CNN national correspondent Ryan Young in Chicago now for the latest. Ryan, what are we learning? Well, we were talking to those two law enforcement sources with knowledge of the investigation. They tell CNN that Chicago police believe Jesse Smollett paid the two men to orchestrate the assault. The brothers who were arrested Wednesday were released without charges Friday after police cited the discovery of new evidence. Now, the sources tell CNN that the two men are now cooperating fully with law enforcement. Smollett told authorities he was attacked early January 29th by two men who were yelling out racial and homophobic slurs. And he said one attacker put a rope around his neck and poured an unknown chemical substance on him. The sources tell CNN that there are records that show the two brothers purchased the rope around Smollett's neck at an Ace Hardware store in Chicago. Now, CNN's attempts to reach both Smollett's representative and attorney were unsuccessful right now. I can tell you police have been working this case. Twelve detectives have been working nonstop on this right now. More twists and turns. But, of course, now the focus is on the investigation and how detectives move this to the next phase. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Here to help me break it down further, CNN legal analyst Joey Jackson. And on the phone is CNN chief media correspondent, host of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. Brian, let me start with you. Um, I'm sure, like me, you have been following this over the past week or two, uh, as has the country. This story has fascinated us. Uh, What's your reaction to this awful, awful news? Well, now the ball is back in Justice Smollett's court. Uh, a spokesman for the Chicago Police Department tells me they did reach out to Smollett's attorneys last night after receiving new information from those two men that had been questioned by police. Uh, what I was told by the Chicago PD just now was, we need to talk to Justice Smollett as soon as possible. We need to ask him additional questions. So, frankly, I see, I think the question now is, what is Smollett going to tell police? Is he going to cooperate with this investigation? Those are open questions. But because from the very beginning there were political connotations to this story, they were undeniable because sources close to Smollett said these two attackers said this is MAGA country and that they were Trump supporters. This became partisan and polarizing on day one. I wish it wasn't, but that is the reality. And that adds a layer to the story that makes it even more troubling. Uh, And obviously, again, we have to wait to see what Smollett's going to say now. From inside, how do you think the media, you know, the media had to had to cover this um, and had to cover this, you know, cautiously and responsibly. How do you think on the whole uh, the media has has done uh, as a job? Strong, high quality news organizations have tried to be very careful all along on this story. But because TMZ said just a few hours after the alleged attack that this was a Trump supporter attack and had political connotations, like I said, it became partisan from day one. And when you're looking at those random websites all over the world, spreading information, you can, you can end up, uh, I think, having the, this story was able to be uh, weaponized in many different ways. But at its heart, it is still a mystery. If he had yeah. concocted this and orchestrated this, why? There was a rumor out there a few days ago that he did this because he was afraid he was being ridden off the show Empire. Yeah. They were going to kill off his character. Well... The studio, Fox, Fox denied that was the case. So the motive here, there's still a mystery at the heart of the story. Brian Stelzer, thank you so much. Uh, Joey, 
What is Jesse facing legally? I don't even, what would the charges yeah. be? Yeah, well, you know what, Jesse, prior to even that, you know, just my reaction prior to being a lawyer, just as a human being, we're in an era nowadays where there's so much discord, right? The political rhetoric is so high and inflamed, and so you have something like this, which just adds to it. It adds to the hate, right? When you say, and, you know, people attacked me and they did these vicious, vile things, and so it's so unfortunate. Mm. But there are consequences, and the consequences are that you can't file false reports, right? Because when you do that, and and listen the detectives, you asked Brian about the media's yeah. response to this, which I thought was very responsible. Mm -hmm. I thought the detectives handled it very responsibly, too, in going and in interviewing and leaving no stone unturned and right. doing surveillance and everything that they did to see if there was something really here. But, but at the end of, of the day, money. exactly. And that's my point, Essie. Yeah. And that's why it's a crime, because you're diverting resources from things that are real. In right? a city that needs them. Exactly. People who have real harm, victims that are actual victims. And because of that it's criminalized and I think if you look at something like this there's really a deterrent value to prosecuting this because you can't have people making claims like this and look at the people who backed him supported him yeah. loved him still love him sure but you know and just really had his back and so it's a major disappointment I think to all concern but it's a prosecutable offense and that's why mm. I believe he's hired counsel so do you imagine Chicago PD have concrete evidence that he staged this beyond just the word of the two brothers. So what I'd have to believe, and again, I always, you know, I don't want to speculate, but what I'll say, I think, based on information and belief, right, right. is the police have been working this case. There have been multiple detectives. There have been search warrants issued and executed of the homes of these Nigerian individuals. They have questioned them. They have spoke to them at length about what was what. They have left no stone unturned. They, they have got his records. Important. They released them without charges. And so I would have to believe that there's some concrete evidence in addition to the interviews that they've conducted, which leads them to believe that, you know what, it just ain't so. And that's a big disappointment. It's a problem. I mean, it's wonderful. It did not happen uh, in accordance with what he said, but it's just so disheartening and disappointing that you put out a narrative like that. Uh, well, and if you're Rahm Emanuel yeah. and a citizen just cast your city in a terrible light right. um, and you already have real crime problem. That's right. How do you handle this? It's right. It adds fuel to the fire. Uh, you know, I think, again, in keeping with what we were talking about earlier, Essie, yeah. I think, you know, if there's anything we need right now, it's unity. Yeah. It's a lack of the discord. It's lack of homophobic issues and people talking about, you know, race in a, in a negative way. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in a day and age where we're talking about immigrants in a derogatory way, and we have, and we're having that face. fight. I mean, 100%. There is real pain. Precisely. And here. so this adds to that pain. And it's just, I think we're in troubling times. And so I think Rahm Emanuel, it's the time to be conciliatory, bringing people together mm -hmm. and doing something about instances like this, which just it shouldn't have happened. Well, it's um, a bizarre final twist. I'm sure we'll learn much, much yeah. more in this developing story. Joey, thank you for helping us sort through this Always. still developing case. Ending on a quick political note, the 2020 Democratic candidates were out on the trail today. One of them was Senator Amy Klobuchar. She's just the latest Democrat to enter the 2020 presidential race. And on Monday night, she takes voters' questions and discusses what's at stake for the country's future. Don Lemon moderates a CNN presidential town hall Monday night at 10, only on CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.